Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, church. How are you feeling today? <clears throat> it is a joy to be here with you. And uh, super quick, I want to just welcome all of our first-time guests, whether you're joining us at our Banta campus, our Franklin campus, our Garfield Park campus, or if you're watching for the first time online, or if you're here for the first time at Greenwood, uh, we want to say welcome. Can we give it up to all of our first-time guests? <clears throat> If you're not brand new, welcome back. And we are wrapping up a series today called No Regrets. And Pastor Cody got this thing launched a couple weeks ago, and he said basically that we all have regrets in our life. And we want to try to avoid them because they're super heavy to carry for the rest of your life. And they pile up if we don't get things uh, worked out in our life. And basically, Cody defined a regret like this. Uh, a regret is basically something, a sorrow over something you did do or that you didn't do. You know, you, you didn't spend enough time with the kids when they were growing up. You didn't study hard enough in high school or college. You didn't go get that degree. You didn't, or you did start the relationship that now you regret. Or you did start that partnership or that business partnership that now you regret. Things that we did do and we didn't do, it's a, it's a feeling of sorrow. And Cody said that one of the major sources of regret, <clears throat> pardon me, is this idea of settling. We settle in our lives. We settle in our area of relationships. We say things like, you know, all the good ones are gone. Or we settle in our finances. We say things like, you know, we'll always have debt in our lives. Uh, we settle in a job. We, we say, well, at least there's insurance, right? And so we settle in. And, and what that does is that creates or generates regret in our life. And so what we said in this series, we just asked the question. We said, is it possible? Is it possible to reduce the amount of regret in our life? We said yes, but you have to do some specific things. In week number one, Pastor Cody talked about dreaming big and getting super clear on what God wants to do through your life and believing that he wants to do some incredible things through your life. And it has to touch the lives of other people, not just you. That was back in week one. Then we talked about the idea of of uh, what did we talk about in week number two? Uh, yeah, it's my COVID brain kind of kicking in. We talked about, oh, we talked about hard work. You gotta be committed. You gotta go all in. You can't just say that you're interested in something. You have to commit to it. If you're only interested, you'll work when it's convenient. When you're committed, you'll work or you'll accept no excuses. You'll only settle for results. And then we talked last week about the idea of risk. You have to be bold enough to take a risk. If you play it safe, it'll block you from experiencing all that God has planned for you. So I challenge you to take a risk and to be bold. Today, today, here's what I want to talk about. If you're a note taker, grab your pen. If you're taking notes on the app, fourth idea of what it's going to look like to live a life of no regret. Check it out in your notes. Be smart enough to team up. Be smart enough to team up. Now, there's a great story in the Bible about 
a guy named David and a guy named Goliath. Are you familiar, familiar with the story of David and Goliath? I mean, even if you don't go to church, you haven't been to church in a long time, you know about the story. If you've ever been on a sports team, you've heard people talk about David and Goliath. There have been lots of books written about this. It's just a great story. And there are awesome lessons that come from this story. But if you don't know the story, you forgot it. It's about a young guy named David. He's a teenager, and he defeats this nine-foot-something giant that is the, the lead warrior for the Philistines. And he does it with a slingshot. He runs out in the heat of the battle. He takes his slingshot. He's got five stones in his hand. It only takes him one stone. And he slings this stone, hits Goliath in the middle of the forehead. He falls down. He runs over to Goliath, takes out his sword. What does he do? Gets kind of gory at this point. What does he do? Yeah, he cuts the guy's head off. He just you know, cuts it off and holds it up. And there's blood everywhere. And it's just like, great moment. If you're a dude, if you're a dude, right? <laughs> Maybe if you're a girl, you like that stuff too, but I don't know. Um, and so, yeah, it's just this great story. And we tell this story because it's like the story of the underdog, right? We all want the underdog to beat the nine-foot giant or, you know, this is, coaches tell these, this story to their, to their team when they're the 64th seed and they have to play the first seed, right? It's like, hey guys, remember Dana and Goliath? We can do it too. Um, and, and, and it's a great story. And there are lots of lessons in it that, that, are, that are good for us. However, however, I think... I think, and this is probably not, you probably don't think I'm going to say this, but I think that David and Goliath, the story itself, is a terrible metaphor for life. It's a terrible kind of lens to look through to live your life. Now, here's, here's why I say that. Because David and Goliath is a story of this event that took place on a specific time at a specific day. And it's, it's the story of, of a kid, a teenager, acting all by himself to achieve victory. Now, does that sound like normal life to you and me? Is that how you live your life? Is that, how, is that the story of your life? Where you're doing a bunch of things all by yourself and you're winning a huge battle or a huge game or whatever it is all by yourself. That's not how life unfolds. That might happen in your life every now and then when you go in to take the SATs and you get a 1400 or whatever it is you got. That's a great moment. Or you go on a first date and you kill it that's awesome. Man, that was awesome. I did it. I nailed the first date. Okay, but now you have to have a second date, third date, fourth date. You have to have a relationship. Like, real life doesn't unfold like the story of David and Goliath. It, it's, it's more like, I don't know, I don't mean to depress anybody, but it's more like a grind. Like, real, have you noticed that real life is like more like, it's boring. It's monotonous. And it's the same thing over and over. And, and there aren't these, occasionally there are, but there aren't these huge, exciting moments of you know, glory and victory. And, and, and a lot of times there's not these huge, terrible moments of despair. It's just kind of in the middle, most of the time, boring, monotonous, grinding it out. I mean, think about it. How does life really work? If you want to have a good marriage, right? What does that look like? It looks like daily engaging in a conversation with your husband or your wife. How was your day? What's going on? How do you feel? These are great questions that men love to ask. <laughs> Tell me about your day. How do you feel, right? But this is how you build a great marriage. You do not build a great marriage with a date night once every two months. Man, we're gonna have a great marriage. Let's go on a date, right? That's not how it works. That's David and Goliath. You don't build a great marriage once a quarter by taking your wife out or your husband out. It's every day. How do you raise great kids? You know, do you take them on vacation once a year and spend time with them? 
That's David and Goliath. We're going to go, we're going to have this, this great moment. It's going to be awesome. It's gonna, we're going to build a great family. No, it's not like that. It's more like every day, picking them up from school. How was your day? Let's do your homework. Let's clean your room. Okay, you didn't do it. You're punished. Argument, fighting, argument, fighting. This is how parenting goes, right? <laughs> this is not fun. This is boring. This is monotonous. This is frustrating. And then for those of you who have little kids, oh, it's a whole different story. It's a lot of vomit and poop and all different types of things and crying and tears and no sleep. I mean, it's, does that sound like David and Goliath to you? It doesn't to me. And it wasn't for us when our kids were little. You want to build a great business? It's not David and Goliath. It's getting in there early. It's staying all day. It's going home late. It's writing the checks. It's covering the bills. It's calling customers. It's just boring, monotonous, hard grinding. That's how real life unfolds. That's why I don't like David and Goliath as a metaphor for life, because it doesn't really give us a picture of what it looks like to live a no regrets life or a great life. We don't run out and do all these things by ourselves. I don't do anything by myself. <laughs> I don't parent children by myself. I don't lead this pastor of this church by myself. I don't work out by myself. I don't, well, I brush my teeth by myself, but sometimes Jackie's there. But, like, but, but everything I do, everything I do is I'm not running out into the field with a slingshot trying to do everything by myself. I've got people around me. I've got my wife. I've got my assistant. I've got my team. Like everywhere I go, I've got help. Like that's life. Not David. He runs out there all by... And we love, we love the all by, all by yourself stories, don't we? Because we're Americans. Some of you grew up on John Wayne, all by himself. Some of you, and if you didn't, if you missed John Wayne, you remember Rambo. Remember Rambo? What a movie. I think there was a second one called First Blood, or maybe First Blood was first, then Rambo, or maybe they were the same movie. I can't remember. But I just remember that Sylvester Stallone kills everyone by himself. The whole army. He's got no shirt on. He's ripped, you know. And it's just like, that's awesome. I want to kill everyone by myself. <laughs> that was my childhood, you know. But that's not true. You can't go in and kill every, in, in a war zone and kill everybody. You need a team. You need, right? So, so, so David and Goliath is not a great metaphor for life. And, 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 and what we do is we struggle with this because a lot of us, we don't like people. So we want to do it by ourselves. A lot of us think, wish that people were like our dog at home. <laughs> Many of us prefer our dog over people. Because <laughs> people can be obnoxious and greedy and they can be selfish and they can, they, they, you got to drag them along sometimes. And, you know, people are tough to deal with. So it's like, I'm just, just forget the people, I'll do it myself. In his book, Chasing Daylight, McManus, Erwin McManus, he's a pastor out in California. It's a great book. If you're a reader, check this one out. I love what he had to say about this. If we, if, we, if, we, if we dislike people and we view them as an obstacle, watch what he says. You'll never sustain greatness or fulfill your God-given calling if you see people as an obstacle to your destiny rather than essential to fulfilling God's purpose in your life. Wow. The tendency is to, because people are difficult, is to stiff arm them, get them out of your life. And I understand that because people can be difficult, but they're also essential to you fulfilling your God-giving purpose and calling in life. And that's what this series is really all about. Yes, we're trying to help you live a life without regret, but we're really trying to help you step into and maximize all that God has put you on this planet to do. And if you don't team up, you will never get there. In your notes, I wrote it like this. Here's why I think David and Goliath is a bad metaphor for life. 
Nothing greater lasting is ever accomplished alone. Nothing. Nothing. It's a myth. Look, it pains me to say this. Many of you know that, that Michael Jordan is my, my all-time favorite basketball player and is the all-time greatest of basketball player. Slip that in there. <laughs> you know I believe that. It's a conviction. I have evidence. I have proof. We could talk later after the service if you'd like to. But it, it pains me to say this, but not even Michael Jordan could win championships by himself. Oh, okay, take a deep breath. <sighs> See, before Mike actually, we're on a first name basis, so I can call him Mike. See, before, before he started winning championships in 1986, 87, he was tearing the NBA up. Anybody remember that time period? I know there's a lot of people don't, don't care, whatever, but there's some of us that do. It's very important information. 1987, Michael Jordan averaged 37 points a game. The only other person to average more points a game ever in the history of basketball was Will Chamberlain, who was seven feet tall and he dunked everything. <laughs> Michael Jordan averaged 37 points a game, 1987, on 48% shooting. He only shot, well, he shot less than one three-pointer per game. Now, James Harden a few years ago averaged 36 points a game. You know how many three-pointers he shot per game today in today's world? 13.6 three-pointers per game, okay? Also, when Michael Jordan was playing in 1987, when you drove to the hoop, you could get murdered and they still wouldn't call foul, okay? In LeBron's era today, you get tapped on the hand or if you throw your head back, foul, right? You've seen the videos. Can you imagine Michael Jordan playing in today's NBA? The dude would have averaged 50 points a game because of all the fouls they call. He'd been at the free throw line, 20, 20 points a game shooting free throws. Anyway, that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. <laughs> I made my case. But even with all of that phenomenal performance, he still couldn't get a ring. He still couldn't get a championship without some of these guys. Check out this photo. This is after their fifth championship. So many you can hardly count. One, two, three, four, five. There's a sixth. How many does LeBron have? <laughs> anyway, I, I, I'm going back and forth here. I know some people are getting up and walking out because they're offended. That's okay. <clears throat> Here, here's my main man right here. But could, could he have ever done this without this guy? Scotty Pippen? The dude was unreal. He could score. He could rebound. He was one of the greatest defenders in the NBA. What about this guy? What about the magic? What about the triangle? He brought the triangle offense. Where is MJ without the triangle offense, right? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? It's, it's okay. It's okay. So we got Phil. We got Scotty. What about this guy? Dennis Rodman, one of the all-time greatest defenders and greatest rebounders. Could he have done it without Dennis? And before Dennis, who was it? Horace Grant, right? He was a beast, right? Now, we could take or leave Ron Harper. I mean, he's okay. He's in the picture. <laughs> before him was John Paxson and Steve Kerr and some others. But the point is this, not even MJ. Oh, my favorite player. Not even MJ could pull off the championships without his what? His team. What about Zuckerberg? Some of you know his face, Mark Zuckerberg. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Mark, today he's worth $131.8 billion. 
That's after giving his wife 55 billion because they split. I don't know if you heard, it was on Facebook. <laughs> so, so many of us know Mark and, and the story goes like, oh, he created Facebook in his dorm room and he's this brilliant guy and he's this genius. And I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's brilliant, I'm sure he's a genius. But he had a crew. I didn't know who his crew were until I looked it up. I didn't know that he had these roommates in his dorm room that helped him to create this thing. I'll show you a picture of a couple of them. Maybe you'll recognize them. Eduardo Saverin, ever hear his name? He was, in the, he was in the dorm room at Harvard creating this deal with Mark. Today's worth $22 billion. Not too bad, not too shabby. What about this one? This guy, Dustin Muscovich. He was in the dorm room with Mark creating Facebook back at Harvard. $20 billion, this guy's worth. Neither one of them are at Facebook anymore. Chris Hughes, poor Chris Hughes. I don't know what happened to Chris because when he left Facebook, he only walked away with 500 million. Not even 1 billion. I'm not sure he got the short end of the stick. Imagine only having 500 million dollars. But these are the guys. These are the guys right here. 22 billion, 20 billion, 500 million. These are the guys behind Mark Zuckerberg and today Mark still has a team behind him. No one does anything great or lasting without a team. Is this making sense? A few years ago, I read a book called The Power of the Other. And in this book, Henry Cloud, <clears throat> I'm going to see if I, can, if I can find this. I lost my spot in the book. Uh, he says here that, let's see if I can find it really quick. But he makes this incredible argument. Oh, here it is right here. Thank you, God. <laughs> I found it. Uh, Henry Cloud, if you don't know who he is, he wrote a book called uh, uh, Integrity. He's written a, a book called uh, um, uh, Boundaries. Anybody remember? Does that sound familiar? Boundaries and Marriage. That's this guy right here. And so he wrote this book called The Power of the Other, and he takes the scientific approach to this whole idea of how do, how do people take their life to the next level, and, and how do they upgrade their life and, and, and make their lives better. Listen to what he says. It's powerful. He says, science confirms that getting to the next level in your life is 100% dependent upon relationships. Whoa. But the relationships must be the right kind of relationships. More than just your buddies that you hang out with on the weekend. The relationships must provide very specific functions and very specific energy. It must deliver very specific constructive experiences and encode very specific information within the brains of those in the relationships. He concludes with this argument Scientific evidence proves that the, the kinds of relationships, the right kinds of relationships, wire us for resilience and success. Wow. That's not just a cliche. That's what the data shows. People only get to the next level in their life when they have the right kinds of people around them. Erwin McManus said it like this in his book. <clears throat> if you're able to achieve, if, uh, if you're able to achieve your greatest potential, if you were to live up a life where you, where you never settle, you're going to need to find the right people in your life. Is this biblical? Does the Bible teach this? Well, the wisdom of Solomon from the book of Proverbs chapter 13, listen to what Solomon says. Whoever walks with the wise becomes what? There it is. Whoever you surround yourself with, you will adopt, adapt to them, adopt their behaviors, their habits, their routines, the way they view money, the way they understand life. You will become like the people you run with. If those people happen to be wise, you will become wise. On the other hand, a companion of fools will do what? Suffer harm. It works the opposite. You surround yourself with a couple of boneheads, you know, 
who, who don't care about breaking the law or, 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 or snorting coke up their nose or shooting stuff in their veins or stealing things. Or, you, listen, you're going to start doing the same things and you will go to jail as well. It's just that simple. The old cliche, what does it say? Lie down with dogs and you're going to get what? Fleas. It's absolutely true. So what do those right kind of relationships look like? I'm passionate about this because I'm convinced that the science, I'm convinced what the Bible says. If you want to get to the next level in your life, you have to get the right kinds of people around you. What do the right kind of people do? Here's what they do. They put courage into you. The right kind of people put courage into your heart to keep going because life is hard. Life is hard. Life is difficult. It's not easy. Parenting and business and money and keeping up a house and relationships and friendships and and doing all these different things. It's not easy. There's a great story in the Bible that it, it really covers many, many chapters. It's not even really a story. It's, it's more of like a, a theme in the, in the Bible, a section of the Bible, about David ascending to the throne of Israel. King Saul, king Saul is the first king of Israel. When David is 15 years old, he is anointed by the prophet, and, and then the prophet says to him, you are going to be the next king. Can you imagine that? You're 15 years old. Then he goes off and he kills Goliath and he joins Saul's army and Saul's like, who is this kid? He's incredible. And he puts him in charge of a a battalion and they go out and they win wars. Well, David is so successful underneath King Saul that that, that people start to praise him more than Saul. In fact, they wrote a song about it. They said part of the song was, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. You know the song. Some of you have read it. Right? And so Saul becomes incredibly jealous of David, and he knows that David has, has been anointed to be the next king, so what does he do? He tries to kill him. In fact, two times he takes his own javelin and tries to pin David against the wall. So David has to leave, he has to run, he has to get out of there. And for years David is on the run, and he's got this group of guys with him, about 600. And they have discovered that, yes, he is going to be the next king. So they leave Saul, and they start following David. Uh, Amongst those 600, there's this group of 30, these incredible warriors that are willing to risk their life for David. And they surround him sort of like a personal bodyguard as they're running from Saul from forest to forest to forest. Inside the 30, there's this group of three guys. Now, I would not advise you to name your boys this if you ever have children, but look at their names. There's these three guys, Ishbael, Eleazar, and Shammah. These guys are David's top three military guys, and they are willing to sacrifice their life for him. In fact, they do so. But it wasn't just the 600. It wasn't just the, the, the 30. It wasn't just these three. David also had Jonathan. Remember Jonathan from last week, if you saw Jonathan was supposed to be the next king of Israel. He was Saul's son, but he develops a relationship with David and they become best friends. Well, he discovers that David is on the run and he's about to be attacked by Saul and his army. So Jonathan runs out to him and in 1 Samuel chapter 23, this is what we read. Watch this. Jonathan went to find David and he did something. He encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. This is what the right people do. The word encourage is, 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 great, is great. You break it up into two. It's encourage. It means to put courage into. That's what the word means. When, when you have a friend who's encouraging you, they're literally taking courage and they're shoving it into your soul. Why? So that you could keep going. Jonathan says to David, hey, I know my dad is chasing you. I know this is scary. I know years have gone by since you've been anointed, but you have to understand God has told me you will be the next king. My father is not going to get you, and I will be next to you. He was wrong about that part, but he was right about David being the next king, and he put courage into David's heart. 
Here's what's interesting. This is why I love this story as a metaphor for life rather than the David and Goliath story as a metaphor for life. Because from the time that David was anointed at 15 years old until the time he actually became king, it was 15 years. That's life. That's what it takes to raise a teenager. That's what it takes to get a business up and running and become successful. That's what it takes to get a church up and running and become, you need a decade and a half or two. That's life. Do you agree, yes or no? It's grinding and going and hiding and being a good person and making great decisions week in, week out, month after month, year after year, and then you finally get the throne. That's life. And David did it not by himself. He did it with 600 guys around him. Then he had his 30. Then he had his three. And he had Jonathan. David did not ascend to the throne all by himself. He didn't run out into the middle of the field with a slingshot. He had a team with him. I love what Erwin McManus said in his book. I know I keep quoting him. It's so good. The most common cause of living beneath our capacity, and that's what this series is about, is that we have chosen to walk alone rather than to walk together. Don't do that. Develop a team. Put a team around you so that you can reach your full potential. Later on in the scriptures, David would have a son, Solomon. Solomon would become the next king, the third king of Israel. He was a wise man. The Bible says he was one of the wisest people to ever live. He wrote most of the Proverbs. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he's basically downloading his wisdom on this concept of team and getting people around you. I want you to see four ideas that he gives us. He pushes down even harder. He says, you want to know why you need people around you? Because of these four ideas. Take, if you're taking notes, write them down. When you've got people around you, you are more successful. You are more successful, he says, when you're working together with other people. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine. He says, two are better better off than one. Why? For they can help each other succeed. This isn't rocket science. Like two people can do more than one. You can help each other succeed. I'm not a farmer. I don't know much about farming. In fact, I grew up in New York. The only time I really saw animals was in the zoo, okay? Uh, and, but uh, now I see more animals, and last week you heard about me seeing a bear. Uh, it was fun. Um, but I didn't know this about oxen. Oxen are actually cows. They're male, male cows that are, are four, uh, 12 to 14 years old. Uh, they're, so they're mature and they've got horns. These oxen weigh anywhere between 15 and 3,000 pounds. And they are used today, in our world today, all over the world, to farm and to pull things. They're incredible animals. I didn't know this, but an oxen can pull its body weight. So if you have a 2,000 pound oxen, it can pull 2,000 pounds. If it's 3,000 pounds, it pulls 3,000. Well, when you put two oxen together, which many, many farmers do, it's called a team of oxen. Interesting term. This is what it looks like. This is a team of oxen. And they're yoked together with this piece of wood that's called a yoke. Here's what's interesting about this concept. When you put a team of oxen together and you train them, you would think, okay, if one weighs 3,000 pounds and the other one weighs 3,000 pounds, they should be able to pull together 6,000 pounds. But something incredible happens when you do this. It's not just addition, but it's multiplication. You put two oxen together that each weigh 3,000 pounds, and they can pull up to 13,000 pounds together. 
What do you think? How is that possible? Now, they have to be trained by the farmer. They have to pull together. They have to walk together. They have to surge together. But when they're fully trained, they pull between 12 and 13,000 pounds. I believe the same is true for people. Well, you get two people together, and they're working together, and they're trained, and they know how to step together and walk together and go in the same direction. You, it's not about addition. It's about multiplication. I saw an article the other day about roommates. If you're a college student, high school student, pay attention. If you're a single person and you're looking for roommates, listen to this. This article showed that the data, uh, it, it, it proves this without a doubt, that if you get involved in a situation or a dorm room or something like that where you have roommates and you choose the right roommate that goes to bed on time, does their homework, doesn't drink and get drunk with alcohol, doesn't have people stay in the night, up, up all hours of the night, or play video games for 17 hours a day or whatever. If you get the right roommate who's disciplined and does the right thing, your GPA goes up. Your physical fitness goes up. Your emotional health goes up. There's data to prove this. You know, there's also data that proves, proves the opposite. That if you get a roommate who's staying up all night, playing video games, not going to class, getting drunk, having people sleep over in the room, your GPA goes down, your emotional health goes down, and your physical fitness goes down. Why? Because if you lie down with dogs, you catch fleas. This making sense? You are more successful when you're working together with the right people, number one. Number two, number two, you can recover quicker. Look what Solomon says in verse 10. Watch this. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. And everybody falls. Is there anybody here today that has never fallen, never sinned, never messed up, never made a mistake, never hurt anybody? No, we all fall. We all mess up. When you fall and you have the right people in your life, they can reach out to help. But when someone falls alone, that person is in real what? Trouble. 1991, there was a study done on homelessness by Tom Rath and his team and, and uh, the idea was to go figure out why some people get stuck in homelessness and why others come out of it. And his assumption before he went into the study was, well, that's simple, that's easy. Drugs and alcohol, duh, right? And, and, but what his, what his research found was quite amazing. That yes, drugs and alcohol were a major part of homelessness, but some people were able to pull out of homelessness because they had someone in their corner rooting for them, expecting something better for them, checking on them, trying to find them, challenging them. And those who stayed in homelessness over year after year after year had no one. He, calls it, he says these folks were friendless. They had no one in their life checking on them. What was the difference? People. When you fall down and you got the right people in your life and you come on hard times, you've got someone to reach in there and help you out. Number three, number three, look what he says. When you have the right people in your life, you receive practical help. You just get what you need. I love what he says in verse 11. Listen to this. He says, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? Now, we don't have this practical need today. Can you, I mean, when you get cold, you don't call the church and say, hey, can you send someone over to lie next to me? That would be weird. That would be weird. That is not going to be a ministry of Emmanuel, okay? <laughs> that, but that's not his point. That's not his point. Today, we have air conditioners and heaters and all that stuff. We don't need that, but you do have other needs, right? You, 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 have, you need a, sometimes you need a babysitter. Sometimes you need someone to help you pay rent. Sometimes you need someone to go to bat for you, uh, to, to, to your insurance company. I mean, we, there are so many things that we need help with. When you're trying to go at life all by yourself and you need help and there's no one there, you will be in real trouble because you're by yourself. 
Jackie and I got COVID last month, and uh, it's amazing. Normally, when we get sick in our house, we help the other person who's healthy helps the person who's sick. What do you do when you both get COVID <laughs> at the same time? You know, I mean, it, it was really, really hard because I'm laying there, you know, with back pain and headache, and she's got pain and headaches and fevers and all that stuff, and I'm looking at her like, aren't you going to help me? <laughs> like, I'm dying over here. Well, she's looking at me like, I'm dying. Why don't you get up and help me get some medicine for me? And so it was real tough, and, 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 and the house got real messy, and, and, and we don't know where the kids were. We're like, God, help them get to class, get to school. <laughs> I mean, because we're in bed. Like, we're hoping that they're doing the right thing and our training has worked. Uh, but, but you know what's interesting? E- even though we couldn't help each other, we had a bunch of other people help, help us without even asking. I had someone come in and make us dinner you know, and make us a meal. I had another friend uh, give us a, a gift card to, to uh, Grubhub so we could just stay in bed and just order food and, and not have to, then it was, an, you know, who's gonna get up, who's gonna go get the food at the door? But I mean, we were pretty sick. Um, and so, you know, and we had, a, we had another friend that, uh, that, that, that heard we had COVID and brought over a box of all of these supplements and, and, and pills and, uh, and all this stuff to help your immune system to get better. And, and, uh, and then we started taking all these pills and there was like zinc and vitamin D and all the t- turmeric and all I mean, just things I'd never even put in my mouth before right and and uh, the other day I ran into her in fact I introduced her to a friend of mine and I said hey this is the girl that saved my life <laughs> and we're like I'm alive today because of her and you know what that that's probably true because we started taking all these pills you know I, I think I need to see a counselor now because I'm, I'm addicted I'm just I'm just kidding I'm just kidding <laughs> I shouldn't joke about that. These were not pills. These were supplements, okay? So no addictive power there. But man, we, I mean, dude, we just felt the love. We just felt the love. People just jumping in and trying to help us out without even asking. This is what happens when you have the right people in your life. You get practical help in your life. Let's look at this fourth one. Number four, you have a strong defense. I love verse 12. Look at what Solomon says here. This is fantastic. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. A two, uh, but however, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Even better, watch this. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I love this. Listen, we live in a world today where there's going to be attacks. Maybe, if not physically, definitely emotionally. Maybe someone at the office doesn't like you and they tell a lie or the rumor spreads or maybe, maybe it's a social media thing and someone's bullying you on social media or sp- saying stuff about you that's not true. I mean, we live in a world today where there are people that don't like each other and they attack each other. That's just, a, that's just I hate that, it's not good. One day God will fix all that, but that's the present situation. When you're by yourself and you get attacked, it's tough emotionally, psychologically, to battle back when you're all alone. That's why you need a team around you. That's why you need a group of people because when you have a group of people, you can handle that. You have a stronger defense. I remember when I was, high school, I was in high school and I was a junior in high school, I believe, uh, there we, I was playing a basketball game, just an official game for my high school and this guy uh, had a breakaway and you know, when a guy has a breakaway, you can intentionally foul them to stop the basket. And you know, it's allowed, you're allowed to do that. And so I did. Apparently someone in the crowd thought I had fouled the guy too hard. And so he started yapping at me over here on the sidelines. And I'm, I'm on the court playing the game and so I look over at him and I just kinda like, whatever. I don't think, I just blew him off. Well, he's kept going. And so, uh, uh, so the, the, court, the half ended, we go out to the locker room, we come back in. As we're coming back in, somebody on my team says, hey, that's a pretty bad dude. I was like, what are you talking about? The guy that's yelling at you in the crowd. 
like, he's a pretty bad dude. Like, he's been shot before. Like, oh. That's nice to know. <laughs> you fouled his cousin. Oh, I fouled his cousin. That's why he was yapping at me. So he, and, and so the rest of the uh, game went on, and he stuck, keeps yapping. So I'm going to get you after the game and, from the crowd. I'm like, whatever, dude. So, so as we're getting ready to leave the high school that night, you know, I, I, I was friends with the, high, with the football team. So I was smart, smart. <laughs> you know, I said, hey, I said, hey, they were at the game. I said, hey, would you guys walk out with me? And you know, there's a guy giving me some, some trouble. Oh, absolutely. We got you. We got you. We got your back. So we walk out there. And sure enough, sure enough, this guy's walking up on me and he's got a cane because he's been shot in the back. He's walking with this cane. You know, he's like, hey, get over here. Well, my, my boys came over around me. And, 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 and we were, we were going to do this. We we're going to do this right here. My mom's there. My dad's there. We, you know, and, and, uh, and I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. I'm, I can still see it in my head. All of a sudden, my, my aunt, my Aunt Marianne, she's like 5'2", Italian, Irish, feisty, Catholic. That has nothing to do with it, but... but. <laughs> She just comes like right through the crowd and gets in this guy's face and she just starts using all kinds of words that you should never use. <laughs> she used them repeatedly. And he was kind of shocked and so she was just going off and she got so close to him, it was like face to face and so she was giving it to him and he starts backing off and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Get him Aunt Marianne, you know. <laughs> I didn't have any problem that night. If they had got through Aunt Marianne, they still would have had to get through the football team. <laughs> so here, here, listen, I mean, honestly, honestly, I could tell you story after story like that. Like my whole, like, I'm here today because of other people. I'm just such a smart, like, I need help, lots of help because I can't do it by myself. Can't do it, can't do it, don't know enough, don't have enough, don't have enough resources, not smart enough. I need people in my life to help me. And that's what's true about you as well. So here's my question today as we wrap up. I, I just try, we're having fun. But will you build a team? Will you build a team? A team's going to give you practical help. A team is going to give you a stronger defense. A team is going to be there when you need them to pull you up when you fall. Nothing lasting or nothing, of, nothing is done that is great alone. Be smart enough. Be wise enough to team up. Don't take the, the David and Goliath approach to life. And try to run out there all by yourself and do everything with a sling and on a stone. And be smart enough, be wise enough to get a team around you. Some of you are like, man, how do you do that? I don't know how to put a team together. I don't have friends. I don't have people that are calling me. I don't have a, 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 a strong group of people. How do you find these people? Two thoughts. This is just how I do it. This is, and it really, really works for me. Two thoughts. Start adding value to others. Just start adding value to others. Whatever it is that you have, whatever resources you have, whether it's money, skills, time, whatever it is, start adding value to people. Start helping them where you are. There's people all around you that need stuff. Start helping them. And here's, what's in, here's what you have to do. Do not expect anything in return. Not a thing. Because if you expect something in return and you're adding value or giving money or helping with time or whatever it is, and you expect it in return and you don't get it and you won't, hello, you won't, most of the time, you will become resentful and then you will block people. You will block them because they were ungrateful and they did not reciprocate. Don't do that. So you add value, add value, add value. Most people will not appreciate it. Most people will not return the favor. That's okay. There will be a few 
who are like, dude, that, that dude's, he's rock solid. Like, he helped me. Like, he, he helped my son. Like, he, he stepped up. He gave me time out of his week. I want to be around that guy. There will be one, there will be two, who are like, they notice your character. You might have eight out of 10 overlook your kindness. You'll have two that say, I like that guy, I like that girl. Just by, and that's how you build your team. You don't give up on, on 100% when 80% are ungrateful, come on. You can't do that. You need people in your life. And you grab a hold of that too. Or you grab a hold of that one and you say, you're gonna be on my team. How about that? Is that good stuff or what? And then number two, you get really good at what you do. You get really good at what you do. Become an expert. When you're adding value, become super good at what you do, whatever that is. And here's what will happen. Here's what will happen. People will notice that you're an expert or you're super talented at that specific thing, and they will want to be a part of that. People are drawn to excellence. They'll say, man, I really need that, that kind of help in my life. So, so, I mean, everybody needs a plumber, right? So they're going to call the best plumber. Yes or no? They're not going to call the one that comes with body odor and comes late and they, and they overcharge you. They're not going to call, you know, the, you know, the, you know with, the, with the crack hanging? They're not going to call that guy. They're not going to call the guy with the crack, okay? Can we just be real? They're going to call the plumber that looks good, smells good, on time, and has great fair prices. Be excellent. And then you're going to get calls all the time. Why? Because you're the best. You're the best at what you do. People, are, people attract who they are. So when you become really good at what you do, you're going to attract people who are really good at what they do. They're like, I want to be around someone like that. And then you pick the one or the two that are attracted to you. Is this making sense? It's not easy to build a team, but you, anyone can do it. Now, as we wrap up today, I'm so glad to, 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 that, that God functions this way. He really does. Like, when you think about God, he is, he is on a team. Like, his very nature is team. Have you, thought, have, you, have you ever thought about that? Like, we call it, we have a word for it. It's called the Trinity. Like, when we think about God, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is three in one. There's, the, like, the very nature of God is a small team, okay? Have you thought about it like that before? It's amazing that God is, is plural, He's not, now, we don't say we have three gods. We say we have one God, but we say there's three persons to the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then what this God, this plural God does is he communicates to you and me and says, I want you to be part of my team, not part of the Godhead. That We're not going to be God. But he says, I want you to be part of my family. I want you to be one of my kids, one of my children. And right now, listen, the reason why this crazy world hasn't come to an end, and I'm not joking, theologically, I've looked at this, looked at the, read the end of the book. <laughs> like the reason why God hasn't destroyed the earth yet, and, and you might think, man, he, he should right now because it's crazy. Everything that's going on in the world, earthquakes, Afghanistan, this, that, the other thing, right? Why hasn't God decided to wrap the thing up yet? Here's the answer. There's only one answer. He's still building his team. He's not done building his family. And once he's done building his family, he will wrap this thing called earth and life as we know it up and he will start something brand new. Listen to what Peter says. First Peter chapter three, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. The son of God died on a cross for sin. He never sinned, but he died for sinners like me and you. Why would he do that? 
Why would Jesus the Son, the second person of the Godhead, why would he sacrifice his life? It's, he t- Peter tells us, real simple, to bring you safely home to God. I love that word home. It carries the idea of family. God wants you in his home, in his family, on his team. And he had Jesus die on a cross to make that possible because sin separates us from God. Sin makes it impossible for us to be in a relationship with God. So Christ dies on the cross so that you can be forgiven of your sins so that you can step onto God's team and become his child. Have you received that love? Have you received that grace yet? Yet, If you haven't, I wanna, I wanna encourage you. Join God's team. Place your faith in Christ. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Trust in him and become part of his family. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's, it's a prayer of faith. You can take these words right now, make them your own, trust in Christ, and become his son or his daughter right now. Just pray these words. Dear Jesus, I believe, I trust that you died in my place, died for my sins, to remove the stain, the guilt, the shame, the penalty held against me. I believe you did it because you love me. I believe you did it so that I could join the team, come safely home to your father. So I trust you today. I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me, make me your child. From this day forward, I wanna listen to you as my coach, my leader, my savior, my Lord. I wanna do things your way. I wanna follow your plans and what you have for my life. I trust you today. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, can we give God glory, church, for what he's doing? Amen. Come on, nice and loud, all of our campuses. If you trusted in Christ today and asked him to be your savior, we have made a little box for you. It's, we call it our saved box. It's a little starter kit. Inside this box, there's a Bible. There's some instructions about small group, which by the way, we talked about that today, getting in a small group. Uh, There's some instructions in here on baptism. And there's also a coffee mug in here to say congratulations on your decisions to trust Christ. If you made that decision at any one of our campuses, you can text the word SAVE to 65248 and grab one of these at the information booth. If you're watching online, put some information in there and we'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church, can we give God glory? Amen. I would like to pray for you guys and then hand things off to our local teams. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this series. Thank you for the stories that we've looked at to try to motivate us and encourage us to live a life of no regrets. God, help us to dream big. Help us to commit to take risks and to build a team so that we don't get to the end of our life and look back with pain because of all the regret. We wanna step in and we wanna realize all that you have planned for us. We wanna reach all of the potential that you had in mind when you created every single one of us. So help us to do that, Father. Help us to live a life and never settle for anything less than what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Right now, I'm going to hand things off to the local teams. I love you guys. See you next week. Bring a friend.